0: Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated to helping sales development professionals get better at their jobs and push the practice of sales development forward. This is a place for practitioners in the trenches every day getting it done, whether they're called SDRs, BDRs, ADRs, or others. It's a team charged with creating pipeline out of inbound lead activities and outbound approaches. My name is David Delaney, and I'm the host of the Sales Development Podcast. If you've got subjects you'd like to hear covered on the show or guests you'd like to hear from, hit me up via email at david at 10bound.com or LinkedIn or Twitter, or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you found us. So we got a great show today. I'm with a very esteemed guest and someone that I consider a friend, Mr. Matt Amundsen, who's now serving... As the VP of sales development and field events, which is really interesting or uh, sorry did I get that right field marketing sorry Matt yeah uh, no'm I'm, no, no. I'm I mean, essentially it's,
1: essentially <laughs> it's right I think uh, I think there's like there's titles and then there's what you do and um, you know field field is is largely events so so i'm I'm fine being painted with that brush
0: yeah absolutely and and uh, you know I'm excited to talk with you about that because i I we were talking about it the other day I think it's it's definitely a direction uh, that more sales development managers will be going in in the future and, and yeah. something that you're definitely pioneering and um, I've been super excited to talk to you i mean you're you're a tough guy to pin down, especially now you know that you're running the field as well you know you' you've been uh, You've been out and about for a while so. Appreciate you yeah. making the time.
1: No problem. No problem. I mean, I I, uh, I have sort of notoriously been a person who rarely responds to an email, um, and it's not because I uh, I think so highly of myself or my time is super valuable. It's just I, I do get quite a few messages. Uh, but um, when you asked me to do this podcast, I knew I wanted to do it. So I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and
0: definitely, you know, it, at the introduction, we say this is the only audio forum that's really focused on and dedicated to helping sales development professionals get better at their jobs and push the practice of the sales development world forward. And, um, you know, you're a practitioner, you're, you're, you know, grinding it out every day. Um, how did you, you know, just to kick it off, how did you initially get involved with
1: sales development and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I think I have a somewhat of an interesting background, although, um, everybody's about to hear it, so they'll decide, I guess. Um, I spent, uh, so I, you know, I went to UCLA, I played football at UCLA. Um, the NCAA, who's, you know, a sort of a governing body over college athletics, is is, is a, a group that I, I don't have a, much love for. Uh, and so I think like most athletes, um, you know, after playing college sports, I was kind of, uh, I was a little bit adrift in terms of what to do. Um, I think the NCAA kind of tries to push everybody to go work for Enterprise Rent a Car because Enterprise is a is a large sponsor of <laughs> of the NCAA, and I think that's really unfortunate because um, so many former student athletes have so much to give, and there's so many people who want to employ them, especially here in, in Silicon Valley, and places like Boston, New York, and and Austin, and other 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 tech centers. And so, you know, I'm always sort of displeased when I come across. Um, you know, student athletes that are, they're getting ready to graduate and have no concept of what they want to do because I would love to hire them all. I unfortunately don't have the head count, but I would love to hire them all. So I, I graduated from UCLA and I, I kind of didn't know what to do. And, um, and I was lucky enough to really fall into a, a great career starter. I, I worked for, uh, at the time, what was a, a fairly small beverage, um, manufacturer called Red Bull. And um, you know, while I was, yeah, it seems kind of silly now to say small, but when I joined, it was a it was a small outfit. There was about 120 people operating out of an office in Santa Monica. Obviously, it was a global brand beforehand, but I was working in the in the North American division, so fairly small. And um, you know, got a great opportunity to work in consumer packaged goods and get an understanding of marketing analytics. And I did that for a couple of years, and it was great. Um, I parlayed that into um, my next role, which was working in um, product management for another consumer package goods called uh, – a brand called Foster Grant USA, which is uh, a sunglass maker, interestingly enough. Um, and I worked there for about four years. I, what, I, what I ended up doing was I was out on sales calls you know, places like Walmart and Target. In um, other big, big brand, re, uh, big box retailers, with our sales team, and I was doing sort of the SC type job of consumer packaged goods, explaining the product, explaining packaging, explaining you know rack space and projected retail turns and things like that. And um, and I was sort of I was happy doing that for a while, and then I <laughs> I found out how much uh, the sales reps were making, and I was like, I think that I need to do that. And so I had an opportunity. To move to Silicon Valley, and without any any experience selling in, in tech, I, I took my first sales job um, in education, working for the Princeton Review, and I learned a ton because that was, you know, that was kind of a world that that was very old school. No no solutions consult no solutions consulting, no sales development, nothing like that. Um, literally banging on doors and and going out to schools, and I, I I learned a little bit about you know relationship building and selling directly. Um, I did that for for about a year and realized that, okay, I'm here in Silicon Valley, it's crazy not to be at one of these big tech companies. And actually, the guy who hired me at Red Bull was doing some contract recruiting for this small company in San Mateo, and again, small (laughs) small at the time, uh, called Marketo. Um, And so I went in to interview for an account executive role, um, and it was not a fit, but um, they were starting to build an SDR team. So... They thought, hey, you know, I think you you've got sort of the right DNA for a career in sales, but not really for closing, carrying a bag yet. You know, this sale is a little complex, and um, so it's a little bit different from selling education. But would you be interested in taking the sales development role? And you know, I I met with some really great people during my interview process. Steve Dodsworth, who you know um, who was, who was just starting the sales development team there, John Miller, who, you know, and I'm sure all the the listeners know. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is where I need to be. I, I don't know anything about this role, but this is where I need to be. And so I did the sales development role for, for, for about three or four months before I was promoted to be a manager. Um, just because, you know, the team was growing so, so quickly. And, um, and so I, I, you know, I started with about four SDRs and by the time we left, we had 45. So in, in, a, in, a, in a, about a two year span, it was just a really explosive growth uh, company. We put SDRs in Ireland, we put SDRs in Sydney, Australia, and it was just, it was an awesome experience for so many reasons. Um, but I, I really, you know, it, it sort of went from being an individual contributor to a manager to like managing this massive team really quickly. And so I got to kind of see all the different parts of it and, you know, when to slice and dice and add more managerial uh, hierarchy and stuff like that. And it was just this really great experience. And that was the first time I met you, David, you were, uh, you were running things over a glass door. Mm. Um, and I started, you know, interacting with all these really great SDR leaders. Um, and I was like, Hey, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think I kind of want to make this my career. Uh, which was weird because I'd really spend, you know, just based upon my resume, I'd really spend the bulk of my time sort of bouncing from thing to thing and trying to figure out what was next. Um, And so, you know, from TIBCO and now at Everstring, I've been running, you know, either a a, a traditional inside sales team, you know, where where people are actually closing deals, uh, small transactional deals um, to to running sales development. Now, now I've got sort of the the field, the field piece. And I also run sales ops here at at Everstring. So, um, you know, just kind of it 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 felt a little bit like a whirlwind, and then you know in the last couple of years it just kind of feels like oh these were like the stepping stones of, of my career, and so uh, I feel I feel great about it. I love working with with young people. I I love taking people directly out of college and you know sort of molding them into into young professionals. In the five or six years that I've been doing this, I've seen many of them transition into being account executives and marketers. Uh, I think that the uh, somebody I work with just recently became a VP of sales. So it's, a, it's amazing to see the growth and, and, you know, be able to claim some level of responsibility for some of these people uh, and their amazing careers. So I, I, I love that part. You know, my sports background, I think, plays well to that.
0: I think so, too. And I, I, you touched on a lot of excellent points as far as the benefits of being involved in sales development. One is the passion around developing people. And, yeah. you know, finding top talent and bringing them in and seeing them, you know, grow and, and develop and, and uh, really mature as sales professionals. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an amazing experience. And, and like I said, now you've got this, you know, larger span of control at EverString. You guys are doing some amazing things. Can you, you talk a little bit about um, how it's sort of evolved over the, you know, year or two that you've been there and, and what you're working on now?
1: yeah so you know it's 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 a really it's a really cool story um, when I was at Tibco I was evaluating predictive vendors um, if you if you rewind a little bit further than that I was at marketo and we were kind of uh, working on a project that is similar to sort of what modern day predictive vendors have have created um, and the the project the product never saw the light of day but I was working on that early, and I got really excited about the idea of predictive and using sort of external signals to, to score leads or uh, accounts better than what you know a couple fields in Salesforce could do. And then, um, and then when I went to Tibco, you know, these 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 companies like um, like Lattice and Infer had really you know started to to create these cool products, and I evaluated them, and um, and I thought they were cool, but they weren't exactly what I was looking for. You know, my history at Marketo, uh, really helped me understand marketo as a platform pretty well and i had built out really good lead scoring using marketo what i what i really wanted to do what my my, my big problem was is i couldn't I, you know i could i could find the people right like i could go to a list vendor and and buy all the titles for for the various personas we were selling to but what i really wanted to do is really have a better understanding of what were the right companies what companies were the right fit for the technology uh, at tipco and and everstring was really you know, back in those days, which was, you know, 2014 was really focused on being really account focused, right? We, um, as a company, was like, hey, find the right accounts. And then, you know, from there, you'll find the right leads from there. we That's still a big hallmark of who we are as a business, but we've evolved a bit from there. And, um, and I, I saw the tech and I love the tech. And um, and I wanted to buy the tech, but, you know, Vista Equity purchased TIBCO, and it put a bit of a halt on our ability to spend marketing dollars. But, you know, I'd met the team at Everstring, and they were like, why don't you come over here? I think we're we're probably a little bit early for starting a sales dev team, but would you be interested in, in coming over here? And I was like, absolutely. I love what you guys are doing. So I started working at Everstring on February 2nd, and we didn't have an SDR yet, right? So I got the this awesome uh, experience of of building something truly from scratch, which is something I had never really done before, right? I entered TIBCO and there were there were, uh, SDRs there. I entered Marketo, there were SDRs there already. And, and the process at Marketo was really built by, you know, John Miller. So, and, and Steve Dodsworth, certainly. So I was really kind of riding their coattails, but this was my first opportunity to really build it from scratch. And mm-hmm. I, I have a very particular way that I like to do things. And I'm a person who I believe that as a leader, You will never have the respect and trust of the people who report to you unless they understand that you can perform the job. So, Mm. in order to prove that, I really set out early to, you know, um, to I I was an SDR myself, right? Uh, I I just I made the phone calls. I sent the emails, I invested in our technology stack, I built out the process, so that by the time the first person had started, the quota that I was able to give them was one that I was achieving before I'd even hired somebody. The process that I laid out for them was one that I was already doing. And so I built in an early level of trust with, with my first couple of hires, and they were brilliant. I mean, they they were great, they totally bought into the process, they were super successful, my first three SDRs are currently account executives here at the business, so um, nice. it was awesome. It was just kind of the way that you dream for it to be, right? Like they would come in, just buy in, crush it, and immediately get promoted. And and you know, I think the longest tenured one was you know maybe six months before they were out carrying a bag. So it was it was kind of that it, it was perfect. And then you know, I was able to use their success to go out and recruit other people, get them bought into the process. They helped me cross train the new people because you know when you're you're sort of an island and you know you've got lots of things to worry about, not just you know your sales development process, but you know the other the other aspects of the business as well. They really helped me train people. Um, so we went from you know zero, to 15 SDRs in in about 10 months, and we're at 17 now. So, you know, we're hyper-growth. We, we, we took a, a large Series B, and we grew the team out quickly, but our ability to, to scale has been, I, I think, tremendous, and, and their ability to add value quickly uh, has been great. I mean, we, um, you know, our average time to value for an SDR from start date is usually about six weeks to fully ramped. Um, and, and that, I, I think, I, I think that's a good stat. Um, I was never able to achieve a a quicker time to value in, in other organizations, but, but here I think, um, I think it's not just me, it's the team that's around me and, you know, I've, a, I've got a great, you know, kind of frontline manager in Gordon Jen that helps me get everything done here. And, and without him, I definitely couldn't do it. Um, that's one of my secrets. I don't <laughs> tell everybody about because I don't want everybody to come recruit him. But uh, he's incredible. So, um, so you know, really in the early days, it was just build the team, go hire the right types of people, and get, um, you know, get the, the the ball rolling. And I think now, you know, as we're sort of eighteen months, and now it's refine, 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 refine. Uh, so it's, you know, whether that's the messaging or whether that's the process or whether that's the tech that we use, we're constantly sort of looking inwards and saying, what else could we be doing differently? Are these the right tools? Are the tools that we bought in the early days scaling with us as an organization? Is the messaging that we're putting out there still resonating with our audience? I love I love the lead from the front, you know, get
0: in there, get your hands dirty and demonstrate that you can do the job first. That's Amazing, um, I, you know that sets the tone. What have you seen now that's working for you guys? That's getting through the the noise that's out there with all these different SDR teams approaching the same the same clients.
1: Yeah, I, I, so for I mean, in a word, it's really personalization. It's it's how can we be more personal mm-hmm. in every outreach? You know, I I I, I set a tenant for the SDRs really around the turn of the year. Uh, heading into 16 where I said everything that was going out from you that's pure prospecting you know it's not hey an invite to a dinner or you know come see Dana Rothman speak at you know such and such event or whatever but true prospecting like I want to get you on the phone every message that came out had to be uh, personalized in some way right now I'm not saying you know write a- an entire email from scratch over and over again but a level of personalization because you know the thing that really keeps me up at night. Um, if there's sales reps who are listening, you know, oh, the thing, What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Uh, I, I, I actually, I love, I love when sales reps ask that question. But <laughs> so the thing that keeps me up at night is a group of marketers sort of huddling around the the, um, the water cooler and saying, "Hey, did you get that terrible email from from Everstream? Right. And that, yeah, I got that. No, yeah, it's the same one. It's terrible. And, you know, it's, it's the concept that, you know, and a lot of organizations do this and it's, it's not their fault. Everybody's under a ton of pressure to, to get more and more, uh, to set more and more meetings for their AEs. But, you know, that sending that one same message to 10 people on an account, it's just, oh, please don't, uh, personalize everything you send. Even if you just personalize just one little sentence. Uh, I think that that just goes so far. So personalize in every way, you know, it, that you possibly possibly can, because that really, it really is the difference between, you know, somebody opening your email and somebody not opening your email. Amen, for sure. And and we got into that a lot the other day at the Topo thing,
0: right? Because yeah. I think um, I, I, I had brought up and some other people had gotten the same exact message from a company um, via LinkedIn. And, yeah. you know, LinkedIn is still sort of a bastion of Personalization to some extent, and yeah. they they had, they'd somehow figured out a way to send the same message and basically spam people via LinkedIn. Um, yeah, it's just like it, it. just ruins your reputation. But how do you how how are you able to achieve personalization at scale though? Like if if yeah. you're talking to an old school sales manager who wants to see a hundred dials, you know, from this SDR team, and you're saying. Hey these messages have to be very personalized which takes time to to to
1: create. Yeah, yeah. So um one I think the the days of making 100 dials are probably they're probably numbered if they're not gone. But, you know, it's it's different for different orgs, right? Like if you're a company that works in a commoditized market and you're a big brand name, you can just pick up the phone and call, right? Like if you're a rep at Microsoft, you can probably pick up the phone and, like, get somebody to listen to you past 30 seconds Just because you're like, hey, I'm calling from Microsoft. Well, Microsoft's calling me. Okay, well, I better listen. Same is probably true at places like Oracle and Salesforce and, you know, to, to varying degrees down from there. Right. But just that hundred dials and saying the same story over and over, it just doesn't resonate super well. And so, you know, I think of, you know, personalization at scale, like. It may not be 100% achievable, but the way we sort of combat that is we have a real sliding scale when it comes to personalization. So, what does that mean? There's a there's a direct correlation from our prospecting efforts, uh, from the role of a person within an organization, and the level of, per, uh, of personalization that they get. Right. So, you know, for us, we sell to marketers. A CMO is probably going to get an entirely personalized message, but a practitioner level person, right, somebody with specialist or coordinator. Uh, in their role is going to get a lot less personalization, much more templatized, but still be personalized, right? So if that just means like the first sentence of the email and the last sentence of the email are personalized, that's something that you can still, you know, bang out quite a few emails on on a daily basis uh, or make quite a few phone calls or do quite a few social touches on a daily basis with a light level of personalization. I think the other thing too is you know, uh, for me, I've I've sort of started to develop this as as a little bit of my mantra over the course of the last year or so is sales development, to be valuable, needs to communicate to prospects in ways marketing can't, right? So personalization, but in channels that marketing can't, right? Uh, A marketing automation system can do a great job of sending emails and, you know, kind of touching people at the right time with the right message, but the mere act of communicating with somebody in a channel that marketing automation can't means that it's personal. So what that means is, yeah. if you're sending somebody, uh, if you're you know sort of connecting with somebody and LinkedIn or you know via Twitter, either through a direct message or just responding to a tweet, the mere yeah. act that you're doing that means that you're a person, and I think that that has value. Now I think about your story about you know getting kind of the spam message from LinkedIn and. You know, the fact that you're just reaching out through LinkedIn doesn't mean that it's going to be personalized, but it does mean that it it, generally speaking means it's done by a person, although I know that there's a lot of people have built like kind of um, gray area technology that can sort of manipulate LinkedIn. And I think they they, they took care of a few of those recently, but um, but. You know, for, for a sales development person to be truly valuable, it's gotta be personalized and and in a lot of ways it, it needs to communicate through a channel that marketing can't. And you know, the number one channel that marketing automation cannot communicate through, that it sits on every single person's desk or at the very last at the very least in their pocket is the phone, right? And you know, I hear people say the phone is dead, the phone is not dead. That's that's ludicrous to say that, right? To start a relationship with a company, it, it needs to be a human touch, it needs to be done by a human, and what better way to show the fact that you're a human than by communicating over the phone right so uh so personalization at scale may not be 100 percent achievable but just little things you know like hey you know i saw on your twitter feed x uh saw that you're a foodie i i love food as well i went to this restaurant No, don't know if you've been there right like those things go a long way because they just show that it's personal it's not just another message being spit out of you know eloqua or pardot or or, or marketo
0: yeah no i i completely agree and and I think um, from a management perspective, it's, it's tough to keep track of the activity metrics in that way yeah. then, right? Um, and yeah. so do, do you have a way where you can say, okay, based on the activity metrics that I've seen today, I know that everyone's out on the floor working really hard? Yeah. Or, yeah. or are you just looking straight at, okay, we set up enough meetings today, we got enough pipeline this
1: week? we're good. I tend to work backwards and I'm a little bit of a laissez-faire manager from the perspective of like, I'm not, I don't beat people up about metrics a lot, which, um, (laughs) some people who I've interviewed with or some people that I've worked for aren't a huge fan of. But, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, it's similar to, you know, your top sales rep, right? Like that person generally gets away with a lot. Um, you know, my achieving SDRs, like, I don't dig into a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Like, oh you know I asked for 25 calls a day and you made 22 but uh, you killed your quota by 25 percent right like I, I, I tend not to get too upset about those things I, I I look at kPIs when an SDR is struggling and say like oh, okay well you know you didn't have a strong month let's look back you know with about six weeks worth of data to see you know where we fall apart and generally those things really stand out um, the other thing too is I like to have SDRs really self-managed so you know we create a, a, a dashboard in Salesforce where they can see like like their calls and emails relative to their to their peers. So that helps them self-manage quite a bit. Um, so so sorry, I'm I'm not big on, on that the KPI part, but in terms of you know the social outreaches and people are people are often very curious about this because social is a big part of of, of why we're successful here at EverString. They're like, how do you operationalize the social touches. Well, mm. the great news is, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter—they both have these feeds that you go to and you land on them when you when you go to their websites. Um, and if you're a person like myself who has a team that does a lot of social outreach through those channels, uh, every day when you wake up, you see all the outreach that your team is doing. <laughs> um, and so you can, uh, you know, I can see, oh, this SDR just engaged with this person, and uh, do I like that messaging? Do I not like that messaging? I can I can sort of coach them from there. So. Both LinkedIn and Twitter do a very good job of already operationalizing that for you. It doesn't spit out in you know data graphs and things like that, but you can see it. So um, that's. The, I think that there are some companies that are going to try to like you know maybe you know, turn those into analytics or whatnot. Um, I don't. I, I don't think you need to spend the dollars to do that. Um, I think it's already built into those platforms. Those companies have done a great job with that already.
0: Yeah. No, it sounds like if you're in a market where. That personalization that really high touch personalization it's it's what it's going to take to be able to set up the meetings and and get the pipeline done then that's what you have to focus on if you're in more of a high high volume you know well-known yeah. brand you know some of the old school you know methodologies could still work right that like you said because they you know, they have that brand recognition already. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a, you know, you're a pioneer in some ways, then you, you've got to be higher touch. Uh,
1: well, and and, and, and I mean, I would say even to the brands that, that have the equity and, and are in a more commoditized market, yeah. it certainly yeah. never hurts to personalize. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I, when I get frozen yogurt, I still want the sprinkle. <laughs> nice. That's great.
0: Um, cool. So I just got a couple other things. Um, working interdepartmentally right it's yeah. it's it's so critical to our job because you're you know in the course of a day you're talking to marketing you're talking to sales you're talking to the executive team you're talking to product you know how how do you how do you best work interdepartmentally do you have like a, a set of meetings that you go to every week which gets kind of boring and nobody <laughs> wants to go to anymore um, but or or is it a more casual environment um you know how do you how do you make sure that you're coordinating with all these different players.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, from a sales development perspective, SDRs in general, whether you report to sales, whether you report to marketing, whether you're like myself and you run your own department that uh, is, is separate from both, you sit in between both, right? So, um, you know, you're naturally going to be engaging with marketing and sales on a regular basis. Um, and um, And that's good. But great is actually setting the time, right? So in every organization I've ever worked in, I've had, I think, a really good relationship with both the sales and marketing leaders. So, you know, at Marketo, I got to work directly with Maria Pergolino, who's now the SVP of marketing over at Aptis. And I learned so much by scheduling time you know, spending time with her in terms of like what the program she was running was, you know, my take on them, reviewing data on our conversion metrics on that. So don't be a stranger um, to your marketing department, be assertive, spend time with them, understand um, the programs that they're running, give them feedback on, on the results of what your team is seeing and do the same with sales, right? Mm. Talk to sales. I think, you know, from, from, uh, from, from, From my experience, I think a lot of SDR leaders can be intimidated by sales leaders, break down those walls early. Um, It's good to have an open dialogue. It's good to have an understanding of what they're looking for, which reps are struggling, um, what you as a leader can bring to help solve that problem, I think, is is really really important. It also helps you, you know, start a dialogue if you're in an organization that that plans to use the SDRs as, you know, a quote unquote farm team for for you know uh, for your sales organization. Like you're going to promote them from SDR to AE. It's good because you get a dialogue going on, you know, who your best people are and you know, what they're what they're looking for, and um, you can sort of help coach your SDRs who are on sort of the the, the tail end of their their time. In that role, um, you know, be more effective as they're you know trying to, to promote into account executive role. So, put time on the calendar. I know it's low fi. There's no software that solves that, uh, but <laughs> but but you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Google Calendar or Outlook Calendar, or whatever, is probably your best friend in those in, in in order to drive um, you know strong relationships there.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And and you know, it was funny. I was listening to another podcast about account based everything and how to drive that forward within an organization and it was a it was some consultants you know who were talking about how you've got to get everybody on the same page and everyone's got to be communicating and everyone's has to know what's going on and you need executive sponsorship and i was going okay there's two things that they're missing here one is called silos and yeah. <laughs> one, the other one's politics yeah, um, yeah. which if you've been out of the game for a while you you don't forget what a you know strong Force those can, you know, put on a, a process if you're trying to drive, especially an initiative like account-based everything, right? Yeah, you really yeah. have to get everything on the on the same page. So. I just
1: like to take this time uh, to do a public <laughs> service announcement that uh, Craig Craig Rosenberg came up with the term account-based everything. So I know a lot of people are talking about that, but. Craig, you coined the term, and I just want to go on record as saying that you coined it. (laughs) Major shout out to the godfather. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: (laughs) That's great. So, Matt, I got one other thing. Um, Yeah. You know, I'm really curious. With someone who's, you know, you're moving up through the organization, you're doing amazing things. Where do you see yourself taking this whole sales development thing, Um, you know, for the next step yourself personally in your career?
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, big question. So, um, rule the world. I I don't know. (laughs) I have, I have long theorized that, you know, that I think in the early days, sales development, I think in a lot of organizations was a part of marketing. It's transitioned to be mostly, I think the Topo data says, I think 70% of sales development orgs report into sales. Um, but for a long time, I've been theorizing that there's going to be, you know, sort of a, a reconnect or, um, a reconciliation where, where, um, sales development will go back into marketing. And I think the the sales development leaders um, today that are doing a great job and the ones that will be successful moving forward will start thinking about things a little bit more from a marketing perspective as opposed to a sales perspective. So the stronger sales development leaders will be more marketer, less sales than they have been in the past. Um, which, you know, if you had caught me on this thing two years ago, I would have said the exact opposite, right? Like sales development's all about execution and getting prospects to, to want to engage into a sales cycle. I think, I think maybe it's the proliferation of MarTech and there's so many people who are getting hit with these hard offers and it's just, you know, Hey, let's, let's sort of, you know, blanket the market with a single message and see who responds. And, you know, those are the people we know are ready to communicate um, it's more about you know writing compelling content and being able to train your your sales development team on how to write effective emails, how to engage in social channels, how to be um, how to be an SDR without really being the old school SDR, which is like I'm gonna call you until you answer, I'm gonna email you until you answer, and really you know personalize, provide value, share great content. But go a step beyond by, you know, being contextual with it. Not just like, "Hey, I read your last blog post," but like, "Hey, I read your last blog post. Here's what I loved about it." Right? Like being able to take it to the next level and and really make it about the prospect. Um, those are more those are more marketing type qualities. Like sure, the 1% sales reps that, you know, kind of walk on water and, and close, you know, millions of dollars of business every year are able to do that. But I think that skill set is going to become really important. Being able to operationalize that training where, you know, you can have an an SDR team with 20, 50, 100, 200 people that can go out and do that. That's the type of stuff that I think is, is going to become much more prevalent over the course of the next four or five years. I'd be happy to say that we were one of the first organizations that did that at scale. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I, uh, I think I'm no different than a lot of sales development leaders are kind of like, which route do I, do I take? Do I, do I move to sales or do I move to marketing? Um, you know, my career is is steering me in the path of marketing now. That doesn't mean I won't go back and try and lead a sales team in in the future at some point. But um, to me, sales development really feels a lot more like marketing. You know, it's the, the conversations about when to send an email, when to make a phone call, when to do a social touch. They remind me so much of the conversations that we were having at Marketo back in 2011, 2012 on, you know, how to set up, you know, great Nurture. When to uh, expedite a cadence? When to slow down a cadence? When to recycle somebody? When to rest an account? Those are the types of the, the synergy between what we were doing in 2011 and what we're doing uh, what we're doing in 2011 in marketing and what we're doing in 2016 in sales development are so so strong.
0: No, and it's amazing that uh, and and it kind of brings me back to you know your your expanded role at Everstring because. It's amazing that uh, as a sales development leader, you can go in and sit in on a, a field marketing meeting and they're completely disconnected from the sales development team.
1: Yeah, sure. They,
0: they don't know what, you know, they, they might send an email saying that we're doing this event, for example, yeah. or yeah. this webinar is coming up or right. something like that. Whereas, um, you know, I, I really, I'm in total agreement that the future will be the 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 you know integration of these different you know channels and bringing sales development in and a, as a seat
1: as seat at the table you know I, I, yeah I I couldn't agree with you more I mean no. I think you know I think you know for me you know the field thing just became a natural extension of what we were already doing. And it really developed uh, kind of organically here at Everstring. which was, you know, we started to do more stuff out in the field. We didn't really have somebody kind of driving it. It was just sort of happening like, hey, you know, we've got to rep out in this territory. We need to do something out there. Okay, we know we need to do it. Let's plan it. How are we going to staff it? Who's going to do the calling? How are we going to get prospects to it? And we leaned really heavily on sales development in order to do that. And we started doing stuff like, hey, if you get this many people there, we'll put you on a flight and let you go experience the event. And that just sort of started to make sense in terms of, no, that's how we should do it, right? (laughs) Right? Like we should have sales development go out and work these events because, you know, they're used to having conversations that are top of the funnel in In cases where we're sort of trying to expedite an existing opportunity, the sales development reps had the initial uh, conversation with the prospects that that are engaged in the sales cycle with RAE. So it feels really natural. And I think, um, you know, I I, I sort of dovetail this into how do you manage the millennial SDR and Mm. do it? It's by giving them exposure to different types of stuff, to different disciplines, whether that be sales or whether that be marketing. They are really, really dynamic people, and if you sort of stifle their um, exposure to other aspects of the business, if you stifle uh, their sort of the, their emotions in terms of you know what they're doing by saying, oh, we just want you to call an email and just send the emails that we wrote and just read the script that we wrote for you, they don't really react to that well, and, and I think that's why a lot of them are you know begging early for. For, for promotions in the AE, it's not an entitlement thing. It's, I want to get out of this robotic role. And so if right. you can create a role that's dynamic, if you can create a role that's creative where, you know, they're thinking about different ways to be personal, they're thinking about like, great, well, like I'm going to have this, you know, I've got my desk and I'm going to have conversations here, but I'm also going to get out in the field and, and talk to people there. Then they get really excited about the sales development role and they're not beating your door down for the promotion because the job is fun and it's dynamic and they're learning lots of different skill sets and they start to see like, uh, I could be an AE, but could I be in field marketing? Could be, could I be in demand gen? Could I be in solutions consultant? Could I be in, you know, customer success? Could I be, uh, could I be in, 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 uh, customer engagement? Um, so, so that I think is the key to managing sales development, uh, reps in 2016 and beyond is d- these young professionals, they're really smart and they can really do a whole heck of a lot more than push send and push dial. <laughs> Well put, very, very well put. I mean, I think of the
0: gentleman that you brought to the Topo event. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Jack I, Veronen, I, let's name him. There, he's that <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, this is this is an individual who had the confidence to add value to the meeting and, you know, step up with his own comments about how he thought that things should run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why would you why would you, you know, have that person just pressing buttons or? you know, blindly making calls. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I have learned
1: so much from them in terms of, you know, how to, how to be more effective in prospecting and sort of how to, how to be more engaging, um, in other channels. And we've had, we've had a lot of success, uh, prospecting into accounts in places other than, you know, email and phone and LinkedIn. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole slew of new social channels that are being created, um, where people are sort of begging for a conversation, and if you can tap into that, that is truly valuable. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to make a commercial for it because I don't think I'm the world's greatest writer. But I wrote a piece recently on on LinkedIn Pulse, and the the, the concept is. It's really, you know, as we get to a point where we're doing high, high levels of personalization in email, and you're kind of like, I don't know how I could make this email better. Like, I certainly don't think that I've got the silver bullet. I, I have not created the world's greatest email. But there's a point where you can't truly make it any more personal, that it's not about what you're saying, but it's about where you're saying it. Mm. And there, there's huge value in communicating in channels where other people aren't. I mean, you and I both know it's, it's, uh, it's basically cliche to say that inboxes are overflowing. They're de- they definitely are. LinkedIn inboxes are now starting to overflow. So where else can we have those conversations? And I think, you know, the prospects are, are you know, your prospects are out having conversations in these channels, and you've got to go figure out where they are and then go have the conversation there. As opposed to saying, I want to force you to have a conversation in a place where it's already very, very busy. So I think, you know, in you know 2017, 2018, you're going to see a lot more people doing prospecting through places like Snapchat, through you know, uh, through other channels like Anchor and After School and these things that kind of. I think a lot of people look at it and say, like, well, that's you know, that's a place for teenagers, but a lot of people are using these mediums to broadcast. You know, information about themselves or strategies around B two B. It's those types of people. They're begging for you to have a conversation there. Interesting, and and just having an open mind about those things
0: and plugging into people oh. who who are more familiar with those channels. I mean, th- that's how you stay, you know, with your finger on the pulse of the of the different um, you know mediums that are out there. So yeah,
1: absolutely. And yeah. you know, millennials are not just relegated to just SDRs. A lot of them are buyers now. They're decision yeah. makers. And they so, have grown up communicating through channels outside of email. And they want to communicate with, in channels outside of email. Yeah. So tap into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the field, field events. I mean, people want to, you know, people still want to go out and, you know. 100%. Yeah, we, and, and do things like that. So that's another great, great channel. So
1: there's, there's, there's truly nothing. And that's, that's when you're sort of transitioning and thinking a little bit with your sales hat on. I, I think about field a lot when it comes to selling. There's nothing like being in front of a prospect. I think any sales rep in the world will tell you there's nothing like being in front of a, a, a prospect. And you know I think here in, in Silicon Valley and you know places like Boston and and seattle and and, and other uh, territories, the inside sales model has become so prevalent. the fact that you can get out and throw a great event and put your sales team in front of their prospects is really, really important. My my one recommendation to anybody who's in field who may be listening, which is probably no one, but if you can if if you sales development people out there have influence over field, think really critically about the, the 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 places where you're having events. You know, for us, we're really strategic when when we put on event, we're looking at geographic density of target accounts as well as geographic density of operations and or opportunities in flight. And so We're not just going to have an event in New York City for the sake of having events in New York City. We want to have an event in New York City if there's a large number of target accounts and there's also a large number of opportunities in flight. Because every field event, whether it's a physical event or a virtual event, should be a combination of sales acceleration and demand generation. Right. Because yes. it's just too expensive to throw events and not have it serve a dual purpose. So if you can help your sales team accelerate their sales cycles by getting FaceTime, you know, by getting maybe an executive in front of them from your organization, but also to start a conversation with a new with a new account, um, it's it, you want to serve both purposes. And just please be strategic. Don't just have an event in Miami because it's beautiful there. Make sure that it makes business sense.
0: Really, really appreciate all this insight. This is so valuable, and I think that um, you know my vast
1: listenership is going to get a ton of value from this. Well, uh, I, ho- I, I hope so. I hope so. I'm glad to be. Uh, I'm glad to be one of your first guests. I don't. I, I don't know if I'm the first or not, but I'm glad to be one of your first guests. And um, I am. Uh, I'm going to commit probably a huge cardinal sin right now. Uh, but, um, one of the things that I really enjoy is I really enjoy working with young sales development leaders and I probably host at least one. I host one here usually at least once a week. Um, you know, just kind of go through various topics and, and help out. So I'm going to give out my personal email address. It's just Matt at Everstring, M A T T at dot com. If you have any questions, if you want to meet, if you want to talk shop, I'm available to all of you out there. I'm happy to help. I've probably seen and done it before. And if I haven't, I can probably connect you with somebody who has. So please, um, there is no reason to go at this alone. There's great resources out there for you. One of them just happens to be David's podcast. So <laughs> if there's anything I can ever do for an interview, I'm happy to pay it forward. Hey, that is amazing. I mean, I you know sat with
0: Steve Dodsworth five years ago and Ralph Farsi and, you know, the, I still am in touch with those guys. They've made a huge difference in my career and, um, putting, putting yourself out there like that, Matt, that's amazing. That's definitely paying it forward, man. So,
1: yeah. I mean, Steven Ralph, two <laughs> guys who are amazing. They helped me early in, in my career and it's because people like that are willing to help that I'm willing to help. Um, yes. so, so I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, and David, thank you so much for, one, for doing this because it needs to be out there. And two, for having me because, um, well, I don't want to say I need to be out there, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could be out there from the comfort of
0: your office, right? So exactly. It's exactly. a little easier. But that's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much. You bet, David. All right, bye bye.